Hey, empty nesters, thank you for staying with me through season two. This is going to wrap up a really awesome season of podcasting. And today we have the president of Homeward on, best selling author Jim Burns. He has sold over two million resources and is just one of the most fun people to talk to. I hope you will tune in and listen. Hopeful encouragement for tough yet rewarding transition to parenting our grown kids. If you have an adult child, you know that parenting doesn't stop when they turn 18. In many ways, it's a bit more complicated. Jim has wonderful, wonderful advice. He talks about emerging adults, what we do if our kids violate our values. What about different faiths? How do we help them come back to God? This will be a podcast you're going to love, and I just thank you so much for listening and tuning in today. Thanks for being with us through two awesome seasons, and I look so forward to spending time with you for season three. Welcome, listeners. Hey, empty nesters, you're in for a treat today as we have Jim Burns on, who is the president of Homeward. And you guys, Jim has close to 2 million resources in print in 20 languages. And we are just honored that he is taking time to spend time with us today. I'm going to have him tell about himself and some of the books that he's written and a bit about his family. And just imagine him in sunny California and I'm in Tulsa in the podcast studio and and settle in a little bit. Welcome, Jim. Charlotte, great to be with you. And uh, you're right. It's it's nice and sunny here in California, although, you know, we get our, our days, too. That's not uh, as sunny, but uh, we do have beautiful weather. We have some weirdness in California as well, well as you well know. Yes. You, I think you said May gray. That makes sense. We're recording in yeah. May, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, people people come out from beautiful places like Tulsa to go on vacation in, in uh, May and they say, hey, what happened? The sun didn't come out till like one o'clock. That's not always the case. We actually live at the beach. So when you live at the beach, you get a little bit more of that than you do um, inland. Oh, you're blessed to be there. Well, tell us about Homeward and please tell listeners where they can find you and, and whatever you want to share about that. Sure. Well, quickly, they can go to homeword, W-O-R-D, like the word of God, uh, homeward.com. And we've got a great website, lots of uh, free resources and our own podcast and all kinds of good stuff for uh, parents. We have actually four uh, issues that we deal with all the time. Strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids and healthy leaders. And so all of our material and all of our our, uh, ministry goes toward that. We're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States. And uh, we've got, I think, 27 speakers who who do that. And uh, we've been doing it for a long time, trying to help families succeed. And, um, you know, it's it's great. I, I love what we do. And I love uh, the privilege of being a part of that in, in, a, in a big way. I've well, got three daughters. Yeah, I want to tell about your oh. books, too, that some people are probably okay. familiar with. Yes. Confident yes. Parenting, The Purity Code, Creating an Intimate Marriage, Closer, and doing life with your adult children, which I just finished. So that's going to be the meat of our conversation with Jim, but fabulous books. And tell us a little bit about Kathy and your kids and grandchildren. Okay. Well, Kathy and I are going to celebrate number 47 tomorrow. Oh, okay. awesome. And, um, and I laugh because for, I was a youth pastor for years and years. And even here, a lot of times speaking on, you know, on the anniversary or whatever. So I just assume we'd, we'd uh, spend it 
on May uh, for us. Uh, the, I know we're having a, this as a podcast here, but it was, you know, it, our, our date is in May. And um, I just assumed we'd do something. And she said, can we not? She teaches a Bible study that night. So I said, can any, she goes, can we postpone our anniversary? <laughs> so I just got that news that we're not even going to go out to dinner, of course, because she has she has Bible study. So she's had to give it up for me, but we've been married 47 years. Um, we, uh, have three daughters and, uh, two of them are married and one is engaged. So we, and we've done, and we've done the empty nest. Uh, you know, the average person, uh, starts their empty nest at 48 years, 0.9. And, uh, at 67, we finally did the empty nest for like the third or fourth time. Cause our kids kept boomeranging back. So, um, have, we have three grandkids in your book, which I love because yeah. you, you did that. Yeah. We have three, we have three grandkids and that's the joy of our life. Yeah. Our three yeah. grandkids, uh, Kathy's watching two of them today and, uh, she's going to drive up to LA up by USC where your daughter is. Yes. Uh, and, uh, she's going to watch the eight month old tomorrow. So she is a busy, fully engaged grandma. And, um, she sure got lots of praise and adoration from the girls, uh, about that on, on mother's day. So anyway, and you have really two son-in-laws. we got a shout out to Stephen Matt. And I love that one of the grandchildren is named Charlotte. So that's a, Oh, name you're right. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. And we love, uh, I actually will get to hang out with her today and I hung out with her yesterday and, uh, we have a special thing going. She's three years old. So, and that's a beautiful name as you well know. Yes. That's a fun age too. I love, I love like age three and four. I taught four-year-olds at Sunday school and, you know, at church for years and they do the most fun things. Like they'll just run up to you and they'll just, you know, tag on your tug on your shirt and they'll say, Hey, Miss Charlotte, I don't like tomatoes. And then they just run off. And you're just like, well, what's going on in that little brain? That's awesome. Hey, that's great. Maybe that's why I like them so much, because my brain works like that, too. <laughs> well, um, you obviously have a lot of life experiences, but what led you to write this? And listeners, you have to get this book. I finished it up and I reread it again to get ready for this podcast, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. What experiences led you to write this down? <laughs> a lot of times people want me to say, uh, research and all that. It was desperation, Charlotte, yeah. you know, our three kids started, you know, going into the college years and we laughed cause they would say, but I'm an adult. You know, they're 18, 19 years old. And we go, yeah, we know you're an adult, but you're not acting like an adult and we're still paying for your cell phone and we're paying for college and you know, what's going on here. And, and, uh, out of desperation, I started looking for material and, and couldn't find it. And then people started asking me to speak on it. And I said, no, I need to sit in those workshops or I need to sit in the sessions and, and learn. And they said, no, we want you to do something. So I started, uh, first out of desperation, personal life, but then also starting to do the research. And it became very interesting. I found, especially as we started doing focus groups and me speaking, that people coming to me saying, wait, you, this is really complicated. Um, and I found a lot of the Christian uh, uh, people having their kids stray from faith or violate values. And they, yes. that was a shock to them, uh, changed ideas with political views, things like that. And, um, and, th- and that's what we were experiencing a little bit too. Our kids bumped, they didn't bump horribly, but they did bump. But uh, I just hear it every day. I was speaking yesterday at a, at an event, not even on this subject, but some of the people had read the book and they, that's what they talked about their kids, you know, kind of walking away and, and uh, they were, it's complicated. They were struggling. So that's why I wrote it. And it, there are times when Kathy and I will be in a relationship with our kids or we'll be in a conversation and I'll whisper to her, you know, principle number two. <laughs> yes. And listeners, what I love 
Chelsea, I know. Yeah. What I love about this book is um, it's packed with, there's fascinating like data and, and Jim has really backed up where you get to see, like one of my favorite things I want us to get to when I hear people say millennial, Gen Z, like I don't even know what age that is. And you have little you know, graphs that are pulled out and right. the focus groups. And there's a lot of research into this. And it's just been, it's been a wonderful read. And, and Jim is so right. In our community where we live, our faith-based community in Oklahoma, I can count on two hands the number of wonderful families who are dealing with big bumps Sure. Of kids that we've known since they were little that have now said, I don't believe this way. I'm not doing this. I, I'm not going to talk to you. And it is shocking. It's very, very difficult. Um, Jim, I want to start with a question about um, a lot of us. Uh, well, I, I actually am going to go somewhere else. You mentioned something in the book about when they're young, you are, there's like coaching, controlling. Can you talk about that? Because that helped set the the kind of the path sure, for me. Sure. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, Charlotte, and you're seeing this in your community everywhere, we're seeing it is that there's this kind of failure to launch. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that that doesn't happen when they're young adults. I'm suggesting that that happens as sometimes with parents because we're not helping them become responsible adults. So what I always say is parent your kids to be a responsible adult, move them from dependence to independence. And you don't just automatically do that at age, say, 18, 19, 20. And so what I'm saying is the type of parenting we do, we, you know, we're first, you know, as we come alongside our kids, of course, there's control. Mm-hmm. But then even in the junior high years, we start, you know, kind of coaching them. And then we move to consultant where most of their day to day decisions are done by them. Even if they're not good decisions, we still got to let them do that. I mean, mm-hmm. start, you know, make sure they're making their own bed and they're you know dealing with certain issues. And then. You know, once we kind of have gone through the consulting stage, it's this giving the kids the passport to adulthood. And actually, then we become the care stage. And, you know, the best thing we can possibly do, I think, is move from we'll always be mom and dad, but being mom and dad who control uh, and, and be involved day to day to mom and dad uh, who who literally give them that, like I said, the passport uh, to adulthood and that we become more mentor relationships. And in that relationship, that means we're caring, we're loving. I just got a text 10 minutes ago from my daughter, Christy, who had come to our house for a little party yesterday. And, um, and she just said, dad, thank you so much, uh, for, you know, for, I, I paid, of course she, she, it was her idea to do this. And then she said, and and, and all you got to do is pay, but she goes, thank you so much. And then she said, you know, you and mom are, you know, our heroes. Well, that wasn't the case when they were in the teenage years, but now that she's in her thirties, um, we're laughing at how much she parents like we did. And she used to complain about the way we parented. <laughs> well, and, and you know, we're all with you in that. And I, I've talked to lots of people preparing for the podcast and getting ready and different guests. And, you know, you mentioned the word control. And I like how you talk about it in the book because it's like a safety for a three-year-old or two-year-old on the playground. You're controlling the sure. environment. You're sure. checking, you know, making sure they're okay. And that control can kind of raise some, you know, hairs on the back of necks of like your, my parents are so controlling. You're not talking Mm. about it in that way in the younger stages of life. It's just Mm. for safety and keeping them, you know, how we need to raise them. Sure. Uh, no, we're um, micromanaging. I say we can micromanage in the best of ways in those younger years. But as they get older, um, we really want them to become responsible adults. And to do that, we've got to give them the freedom that they seek, even if they're not always making the right decisions. And that's a tough one. It, it is tough. And one of the big things that I love that you brought up in the book is um, 
not offering unsolicited advice. Can you just right. give a good example about that? Sure. Well, the principle is, you know, unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. And so, you know, I'm the one who wants to give advice. And so, yeah, I'm always trying to get, I'm, I'm the guy who says, hey, so why does she need to go to Europe to find herself? You know, I, I have all the answers right here. Just tell her to come into the living room. I'll, I'll In five minutes, I can take care of all of her needs and tell her who to marry and how to marry. That's not going to happen. But the interesting side to advice is why I tell people to, to not give unsolicited advice is because it's usually taken not only as criticism, but it's taken as a, you don't trust me. Now, what's interesting is none of us have that intent. We're trying to help because we've been helping day to day for 20 years, you know, two decades of our life. But that switch has to happen where we almost uh, sure they, they still need our advice and they want our advice, but they have to seek it out. So, you know, there was an old movie, uh, not that old, but it was called uh, Field of Dreams. And it was talking about a base building a baseball diamond right. in Iowa. Yeah. And it said, you know, if you build it, they will come. Well, I say that if you keep your mouth shut, they'll ask questions. You know, my daughter, Becca, lives in New York City and she's the one who's engaged. And she just wrote and she was had to do some health insurance. She, she, and she said, Dad, what's a beneficiary? That's, this is a kid who has a master's degree in counseling. And she said, hey, what's a beneficiary? The only reason she called me was to ask me what that was. What and then we talked about word. it. Yeah. And then she goes, should I, should I put, you know, she has a, a, a husband to be here and she goes, should I put his name or do I put, you know, your name or, you know, how do we do that? Well, I love that conversation and I love that she came to me, but you know, that happens because I'm trying to learn to keep my mouth shut with her. And you know, the other thing, um, a friend of mine said that they practice doing it at home is like if, if their child maybe even ask a question about something that they'll sometimes turn it back around and say, you know, you have great ideas. What do you think about that? Like to Perfect. even just turn it around and, and they're asking you, but then in the, in their talking and getting the answer out, they can kind of own that they came up with something. And I think that's a great strategy. No, well, you're right. You know, that one of the phrases that I use in the book is experience is a better teacher than advice. And we all know that we just don't sometimes play that out. I mean, even think about, you know, when kids are little, you know, sometimes the falling off the bike is going to teach them how to ride the bike better, or whatever it might be. So what we want them to do is have the experience. And by you saying that, Charlotte, that your friend says, well, what do you think? Well, when they hear themselves come up with something really good, that's better. Exactly. And, and sometimes the experience can be good. Sometimes it can be even negative, but we still learn from some of our negative decisions. At least, you know, all of us have. Oh boy, we sure do. Well, you, you talk in the book about, I love this term that you wrote about, and it's about adult children being emerging adults. What does that mean? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's, it's actually a, a phrase I use from a man named Jeffrey Arnett, who is a researcher uh, on the East coast. And he, he coined the phrase emerging adulthood because, you know, one, when I was going to Princeton doing my grad work, I learned about children, teens, adulthood. And, you know, Kathy and I kind of were like that. We got married one week after college graduation and we instantly had financial responsibilities and life responsibilities and we kind of became adults. But today what Arnett is saying, and he's right, is that so many kids meander toward responsibility, they meander toward marriage. And so there's this whole generation of kids and we're gonna call them the millennials and now Gen Z. And millennials are gonna be 24 to say 38. Gen Z is gonna be somewhere around 24. You know, there's kind of a shaky those last couple of years uh, on down. Well, these are kids who, they're not fully adults yet. And, and part of that is just because of the nature of, of life. But in those, emerging adult years, um, they 
make some good decisions. They make some bad decisions, but they're not fully adults because they're not fully responsible for everything. Sure. Are there a few? Yes. But the majority of kids today um, aren't really, you know, they're still emerging. And, you know, I wrote a book on getting ready for marriage and, you know, I wrote it to a 29 year old guy and a 27 year old woman, because that's when people get married in the United States. Well, that wasn't the case a decade ago. That wasn't a case, you know, parents generation. So it's this whole idea of emerging and, and parents have never been through it. So they don't know what to do. Plus we haven't really been students of this culture. And so the culture of, of, the emerging adults is very different when it comes to what they're getting on media, what they're getting politically, what they're getting, you know, spirituality. For example, Gen Z, twice as many atheists in Gen Z as even the millennials. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's not a great thing for us. But as parents, we've got to understand that that kids are getting pushed that way. Gender identity confusion. Um, you know, the list just goes on and on. Pornography. Uh, the average kid yes. today sees pornography at age 11. Well, that means for many of them, their first first sight, first input, first sex education is actually pornography today. And that should frighten many of us. But and at the same time, it's should... Googling a word on a phone. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah, you can have a look. Exactly. Jim, I want to tell the listeners, I loved how you broke out in your book. Um, you even have a little graph and it said Gen X is those born 1965 to 1983, MTV generation, self-reliant. Then you have millennials and Generation Y, born in 1984 to 1988, adventuresome, entrepreneurial, digital lifestyle. Then we have Generation Z, and I have one that was born in 1999, and I love how you talk about what they're known for valuing. And this is a great graph because Jim has written out understanding the distinctions between the generations can bring clarity. You can look at this chart and go, oh my gosh, that yeah. is fascinating to see how each generation generation approaches life differently. Exactly. We have to be students of the culture. And sometimes that's not the culture is not friendly to our belief system. But instead of whining and complaining about it, we do need to learn how to reach out to our our kids who are of a different generation. It doesn't mean we have to change our views. It it means we have to understand where things are coming from. And and I think sometimes little graphs like that are helpful. And as as well as just getting, you know, talking with our kids, listening with our kids, listening is the language of love. And, you know, what are people saying at your school? What are people saying, you know, in the workplace that are your age? And, And we can learn a lot. And not trying to draw them in. It's really hard to pull a millennial into a Generation X when we are we are have a little bit of cynicism and we're prone to you know like you say in here to challenge some things. So you you have some different approaches that we have to kind of lay down. And I love one thing you you mentioned, Jim. You said parent with awe. And A is yeah. for affection. W is warmth. And E is encouragement. And that you keep something on your desk to remind you to do that. I'm looking at it right here. And it has A-W-E. And, you know, it really what happens is a lot of us, we were raised on what we call shame-based parenting because our parents sort of parented that way. And then we kind of, the pendulum swung and people, you know, did it with total leniency and, you know, give everybody a blue ribbon if they come in last place or whatever. But the truth is, is that if we parent with plenty of affection, warmth, which is setting the tone, we shouldn't expect our kids to set the tone and encouragement. Um, even when they stray or even when they, you know, they're still going to be drawn to us because we're parenting them with, you know, with, you know, gobs of what I call awe. And again, you don't, you still discipline, you still bring up issues, but you know, they're going to be drawn to that much more than they're going to be drawn to 
uh, lectures and preaching and, yes. and uh, you know, negativity or even sometimes meanness or really harshness. So, you know, I think we, in the midst of that, we have to have the discipline to continue to give, you know, awe. And by the way, awe works for, you know, kids when we're in the empty nest, but awe works for younger kids and awe works for marriage. If you're married, you know, I find that Kathy and I, that's what we want to set a foundation on. Awe works in my workplace just, and, you know, you know, in different levels, obviously, when you talk about affection or warmth or encouragement, but, you know, it's a, it's a critical thing that just takes discipline. And then we're not always responding to some of the goofy stuff. You know, we're being proactive about it. Well, and I love the word warm because that it kind of makes you have to soften just a bit and just to be just to be um, open and approachable. Jim, what about the difference between empowering and enabling? I love how you mentioned that enabling a child, adult child will lead to entitlement. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? A lot of us enable because we enable toward dependency because we need that. We still need our kids being dependent on us. And um, so we enable them sometimes, but that will, they will become entitled um, if we continue to enable. Our intent is almost always right. Um, but if you're, if you're enabling your kid and not just helping, I just, I just saw yesterday that 50% during the pandemic, 50% of parents have given money to their adult children. Fine. That's great. But if you're constantly continuing to do that and they still have your credit card and you're still, you know, taking care of them in in so many ways, well, what are they going to become? They're going to become entitled. And what, what do entitled kids have? They have problem in relationships in the future. Mm -hmm. So they're now not responsible adults and they also have a hard time launching. And so we have this, you know, entire generation struggling with a failure to launch. So again, we've got to make sure that we're giving them the passport to adulthood. And by doing that, that means, sure, come alongside and help periodically, but, but don't make them so dependent on you that they, they will never become a responsible adult. That's not how it was meant to be. Well, and listeners, please get the book. You've got to get the book because if you read through doing life with your adult children, he offers some wonderful, um, pointers in there and some tips that certainly is going to go deeper than our quick podcast today. But I, the intent of this is to really get you to go to that website and get his books and read because he has so much wisdom. And I love, and I really appreciate that you and Kathy have shared and your children, you say, we have permission from our kids to share these stories, which I love that it's not like, oh, you know, he's out there doing this. They've lived this and they have some wonderful advice that's going to help all of us and a lot of research. Um, But Jim, I tell you what, I hear from listeners a lot. I get emails that say, please do something about, we've been a Christian family. We're known in the community. Some are pastor's kids, some are Bible study leaders, some are men out leading journey groups. And they have a child that is just outwardly violating the values and it's heartbreaking. And so this is happening. Um, One of my favorite statements you said in your book is it's a good thing. Easter is a season and not just a day. Some resurrections take time. So if, if parents and listeners right now have a child that is just outwardly violating cohabitation is a big thing that seems to be happening now. A lot of kids are needing to save a lot of money and they, they know they're going to quote unquote, we're going to get married someday. It's hard on a lot of people to go through this. What are some, what's some advice you can give people struggling through this? Well, uh, it is, and lean into the fact, you use the word, Charlotte, heartbreaking, and it is heartbreaking. And that's why we do need people around us who we can 
be open and honest. And a lot of times people in Christian communities won't want to share, you know, that their kid is, you know, struggling. And I get it. You don't stand up in church or you don't broadcast it. But, you know, are there safe people replenishing relationships that you have where you can talk through some of this stuff? Because I think that's really important and meaningful. And I've been fortunate enough because of writing this book that I just hear this every day. I mean, I hear these kind of stories. I, I said to a couple yesterday whose daughter went to a Christian college, moved in with her boyfriend. Uh, literally, this was yesterday's conversation. And they said, we're really struggling with this. And I said, do, 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 does your daughter know what you believe? Yes. Does your daughter know how you feel? Yes. If, if, if she does, then broaden the relationship and don't become a one-topic parent. Now, mm-hmm. you've got to deal with this and I'm sure it's heartbreaking, but if she crashes and there's a good chance she will, storms come to everybody's life, you want her to come where? Home. You want her to come to you. And so it's very possible to have a relationship with a child who's violating your values and has, and has violated a lot of the things that you stood for when they were growing up and that they stood for a lot of times. And it's possible to have a relationship with them and actually not agree with them, but also still have the relationship. So parents in another generation shunned their kids when they made some poor choices or they blame themselves. And I, and I say this in the book, you know, really good parents have kids who make poor choices. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, you know, when they violate values, um, offer them tough love and tough love isn't about being mean. Tough love is saying if they make some poor choices, then they have the consequences of those poor choices and they live out those consequences. And you come in and and show some empathy because they, but they know how you feel. The other thing I would say about this, Charlotte, I think we missed this is that still the number one question, they know how you feel. They know what you believe most of the time, but here's the question. Do you mom, dad, do you still love me? Mm -hmm. And so is it possible to love your kids and, you know, just be heartbroken by some of those kinds of decisions. Um, you know, the quote you said about, you know, Easter being a season, well, you know, they come back right now. We have 65% of kids graduating from high school in the church who are leaving the church, but they're, we're finding them coming back at key times when they get married, when they have babies, we find a lot of people who are doing cohabitation and I'm, I even write in the book, I am not for this at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's greater chance of, a, of adultery in a marriage, greater chance of a divorce. You know, the list goes on. But we find that they come back to the church when they have a baby, um, when that baby gets to a place of where they feel like they need a church home. Um, you know, there are certain times when you see them, you know, coming back to their roots. It's just not our time. Our pastor used to always say, you know, God is never too early and he's never too late, but a lot of us think he's too late. Mm -hmm, For sure. You know, Jim, another thing that you mentioned in the book, this was a great quote. I was reading some things out loud to my husband. We were actually driving back from my hometown of Fort Smith, Arkansas, back to Tulsa. And I was reading some things I loved about your book out loud to my husband. And we both loved a couple things I'll share. Um, This quote, when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of changing, they will change. And he mm. thought that was just profound because I if, love that. if any of us have strayed, I mean, he shares openly when he shares his testimony with people that the way that he did college is not how he would do it now as a you know yeah. grown man. And, and he said, that is exactly right. The pain of remaining the same, I didn't want to remain the same. I wanted to get back to how I was raised and my values and and I did change and circle back. And, and he said, but that's a great word. You don't think about it as being pain, but it actually is. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, there is. They, they, they sometimes you just need, unfortunately, you don't want to ever see your kids have pain, even adult kids, but sometimes it's pain that will draw them back to yes. the right way of living. And they're going to have a scar or a bump or a bruise or a Band-Aid around because they didn't make a good choice. Well, exactly. And Jim, you mentioned that we need to have maybe a scar on our tongue from not saying everything. <laughs> we just need to bite our tongue a little bit, not not say everything. Um, my husband, Gordy, also loved, I read this to him, and it, and it was a, right from your book, and it says, get to know your child beyond what is breaking your heart. And you yeah. shared that just a minute ago. And I was thinking about, I have a friend, and I won't go into too much what's happening, but they're child, it, it's so difficult right now. And so we've been working together on the phone about, um, it's heartbreaking lifestyle decision, but it's like, I love him. I want to know what he's done during the day. I want to know what he thinks about sports teams. We talk about food. We talk about what does he want to eat? I mean, there's choices of, Hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? There's plenty of things to say. She said, some are so simple and her heart's broken in the midst of all this, but her child is is still worth talking to about things beyond the issue and any other insight on that well it's a, you know the the child knows how you feel like i mm-hmm. said and so when you continue to build into their relationship and care for them and do what we're supposed to do anyway um it really does have a, a profound effect on them because the greatest influence in a child's life is mom and dad and you know what as they become adults, um, it's still mom and dad. You transition, I, at least for Kathy and I, we transitioned to, to each other as they, you know, as we got married and then there was kind of a transition, but you're still so, you're, you know, your parents are, are it's so important. So if the parents are only talking about that one topic, that's, you know, breaking your heart, well, then that's just going to turn them away. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, I think it's the, you, you just continue to build the relationship, uh, you know what they're doing that find out what they're doing that day. Even if it was something you just go, Oh my gosh, but um, you know, don't shun them. And I and way too many people shun their kids yeah. and then wonder why their kids don't have a relationship with them. Well, that's not, that's not the message that we want to get across to, to our adult children. No. And you know, this particular friend of mine, she, she thought, oh, you know, retail therapy helps me some. I, I don't even know what we're going to say, but she put that sweet adult son in the car and she said, you know what always makes me feel better is just buying something, a little something new. How are your tennis shoes these days? And she said they went awesome. out and had the best time getting him a new awesome pair of shoes. And he, it, she said it actually was the one thing that put him over the hump where then he started talking to her about all kinds of things. And that sounded so simple, but she said, I felt the Lord said, go out and take him to get a really awesome pair of shoes. And it was just an act toward him. Fantastic. I love that story. And that's an illustration that we all need to re- whether it be, you know, going and buying tennis shoes and doing retail therapy or, you know, a dad taking a son to a ball game or, a, uh, you know, a mom and a daughter, you know, going out to lunch, whatever it might be. But you're yes. exactly right. I thought yeah. that was great. And and listeners, I really do want to reiterate that quote again. Get to know your child beyond what is breaking your heart. Your your kids are knit together with so many things that they love, that they enjoy, that make them unique. And you can dive in and get to know what is going on beyond the issue. I, I think that's one of the best things I've ever read, Jim. And, you know, Jim, yeah. you also mentioned you and Kathy turned inward I love that. And that is such a wonderful thing to emulate. And I hear from listeners who are struggling right now where they're, 
their husbands feel very far off and they're trying to turn into their husband and they can't broach over to how he's feeling and they feel like they're alone or vice versa. And listeners, Jim has some great books out there about creating an intimate marriage closer. Please go to go to Homeward and check it out. And Jim, any quick advice just for how couples can turn in? Well, you know, I think it, it's baby steps. For Kathy and I, part of our story is the least developed area of intimacy in our marriage was spiritual intimacy. And we decided to spend 20 minutes a week, not a day, but a week uh, reading scripture and reading an inspirational uh, quote or whatever. And we call it our closer time. And you know what? That really, really changed things. And again, I don't remember that everyone is so great. We still do it. I don't remember that everyone is so great, but I don't remember what I ate last week, but it nourishes me. So as couples, you know, start small, but but try to get on the same page and uh, and build into your life, whether it be that or if couples... Now that they're, say, for example, in the empty nest, if they're, you know, now is the time to, to go on that date. I, I ask people for 1% of their time a week. That's a date. And, you know, go on the date. Spend spend the extra time leaning into each other. And it's amazing how it comes back. But sometimes you have to be much more intentional than you ever thought. or we t- And we begin to take each other for granted. I think that's, I think when it comes to marriage um, and, and the empty nest or marriage and, and doing life with your adult children, uh, it's so important for us to engage with each other doing positive things. You know, I, I have a book uh, coming out in July called Have Serious Fun. And I have found that for Kathy and I, it's not the deep conversations over the table talking about our kids that draw us together. It does sometimes, but it's actually, you know, going for a walk at the beach and looking at sunset or, yes. you know, it's the fun times together. And so words don't always connect, but connection times when there's fun and play, that that tends to be the missing ingredient that pulls us together and breaks a closed spirit apart. So that's what I think couples have to really engage with those kinds of things. And you know, it's the little things, like you said, going on a walk, we were talking with our small group about how we were one way before COVID and then during the pandemic and now, you know, coming out of this and what we were talking about with these great group, this great group of couples that we do life with um, is just the walks in the evening. Like we yeah. all slowed down. And one night uh, my husband and I were walking in our neighborhood and it was hilarious. There were like six garage doors up and men were out there organizing those garages. I mean, we have the best looking garages in our neighborhood because COVID, everybody's home. And But Isn't that the funny? lazy rhythm of yeah. coffee together in the morning yeah. Walking in the evening. It, it oh. wasn't even spending money. It was just sitting oh. together. It's those simple. It's exactly simple things. I've got to tell you last night and I had spoken all day yesterday and last night, um, Kathy was bringing, uh, she said, do you want to take the, I, I already taken the dog for a walk. And, and so our dog is loving COVID. Yes. So Kathy is trying to pull the dog and she goes, you know what? Our dog doesn't want to go on a walk. He's already walked too much. And we just started laughing. What dog doesn't want to go on a walk? But um, those walks for us have, have really changed, you know, the way we do, uh, we do life together. And yes. that's been really, really meaningful. Us too. And you just kind of talk and take in. Yeah, that's funny because we, all the dogs were out, all the people, we, you started a new yeah. rhythm during the pandemic of this little uh-huh. area where we walk around and we'd see the same people and you met people you didn't know. I mean, there were a lot of good uh-huh. things that came out, but right. we were talking in our small group about disciplines we'd like to keep. And some of the things were praying together. 
um, hmm. as a couple, if that's, if that's not something that's comfortable for everyone, um, then just having the coffee time together, you're each reading your own devotional yeah. and then right. the walks. And my husband said, you know, I used to think I had to dash into the office really quickly, but I want to hang on to this coffee time, even if I have to get up 30 minutes earlier because it set the pace of the day. It's, it's so good. And, and that's it. It's the small things. I know somebody who spends 15 minutes a day in the morning and 15 minutes a day at night uh, with co- one was, is with coffee time. And one is right after dinner where they just sit on the couch and, you know, they, they have younger kids and their kids are just going wild and crazy, they say, but it, it connects them. And, uh, but you've got to be intentional about it. So, you know, we, we've learned some of this. So now we have to apply it and not get so back to the pace of life. Uh, you know, I have a phrase that I used in that book called if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Cause I think the breathless yes. pace of living is also what's, what's keeping us from having deep connections, either with our spouse or, you know, with our kids. Oh, it's that hamster wheel. I think I learned at some conference somewhere. It was awesome. I wish I could attribute this to the right person, but it was busy was being under Satan's yoke is yeah. the B-U-S-Y. And that yeah. word yoke just makes me, oh, it's just the heaviness and yeah. you're locked in and you just, you can't, you got to get those shackles off and not be as busy as we all think we need to be. Um, yeah, for sure. that's really good. That's really well, good. Um, Jim, okay. So when an adult child, so we've talked about values, we've talked about, we can, values listeners can be anything from cohabitation, political party, um, living beyond their means, credit card debt. I mean, I'm trying to think of things. What else, Jim, when you, when we talk about values, maybe church attendance, what else? Yeah, no, I, I, the other one that I hear a lot about is exactly what you just brought up. It's, it's that they've strayed from faith or that they've Mm -hmm. strayed from, uh, you know, the mindset that they, the parents had kind of helped them, you know, have in the, you know, when they were growing up. And I think that, you know, and I think that's, a big one, or if you see them experiment, you know, sometimes you'll see it really go farther where they're experimenting with drugs or they're experimenting with, you know, some really alternative lifestyle yes. things that are really, really dangerous. Um, or even the way as they get older, the way they parent their own children, mm-hmm. Kathy's dealing with somebody from the Bible study she teaches right now who has a daughter who has walked away from the faith and her daughter is four. And the daughter one time said she thought it would be better to be a boy. There's a four-year-old. And so they're now parenting her to become a boy. Well, she's only four years old. She's really wow. confused. So, you know, this mom, where does the, we were talking last night, where does the mom fit in and how does she, does she intervene? You know, what's going on? And it's partly because the, her, her daughter is so far away from the values that she was raised with, but the daughter's kind of confused too. So, I mean, again, there's, there's the deep, deep stuff, and there, there are those stories, but there's also just the ones where they, they just slid a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe like during, during COVID, we were talking about COVID during COVID, a lot of younger um, people are not going to church. They've right. just literally quit going. And, uh, you know, when I look at my church, uh, some of us uh, who are a little older, you know, we're there and we're still staying in our small groups and we're doing all the stuff that, you know, that you and your husband are doing too, Charlotte, but it's the younger generation that has kind of strayed. And that's just driving all, all of us older ones crazy. I think we have to give them a little bit of grace and figure out that they are going to have that need to come back and find those replenishing relationships that they, you know, had in the church. Well, um, it's but it, hard it's because hard. we even found ourselves drift into a little bit of malaise yeah. because we started to experiment with, well, one church we go to, we go to Life Church, which is online and awesome. And Craig Rochelle's yeah. one of our pastors. Oh, and then we man. also go to a local 
uh, Methodist church, but we drifted into, hey, we can get that 9 a.m. tea time and we can catch it online later. And we saw ourselves get into where this could be a very easy, but you know what's awesome is we have this small group of, hey, how's that working for you? And so that kind of goes back to what you said in your book, Jim, is to parent your child with a community not on an island. So we got on this little island of, hey, this is easy. And I kind of like just being in my pajamas. And then we kind of had to be shaken ourselves to get back. And boy, it feels good to be back in a little bit of a rhythm. Yeah, it it does. And I think it will for the younger crowd too, who's kind of walked away from that. But you're 100% right. I mean, I remember Kathy and I sitting there with our feet up, drinking coffee. And I said, wow, I could get really, really used to this. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and Jim, I want to close this out here in the last little five minutes about, um, we have lots of listeners. I love to hear from people that have grandchildren and, you know, it's like you, my mom has this really cute pillow at home that a little needlepoint pillow. So perfect. Like my sweet little mom that would have in her little chair. And it said, if I would have known grandchildren were this fun, I would have had them first. Well, my mom always tells me, what is so fun for her is she feels like she didn't have the mistakes that she made on me and my sister. And so she could be this grandmother as they were young, kind of like the age yours are. Well, now my mom's grandchildren and my, my in-laws, we have all four of our parents, which is a blessing. They now have these 28 year old, 25, 21. That's the age of my kids. So they really are thinking about the word that you talk about in your book legacy. Like what legacy can I leave and what, what can grandparents do if they don't live near them? What are just some practical steps and, and tell me what you mean about the word legacy for listeners who might not be Uh, familiar. Well, you know, the, the, even the Bible is very generational. And we have a phrase at Homeward that's talking about the church because we help churches. And and one of the things we say is that the purpose of the church is to uh, mentor parents and grandparents and the parents and the grandparents mentor their kids and grandkids and the legacy of faith continues. Well, legacy is just, you know, the journey and it, and it is generational. And by far the most influential people are mom and dad when you're talking about spirituality and then, then grandma and grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about seeing how grandparents today, like your you know, parents, it sounds like, are you know people who are leaning into the kids. So I say, be the greatest cheerleader you can to your children and then also to the grandchildren. And, uh, and you mentioned, Charlotte, that you know, so many grandparents today don't live in the same community. Well, there's this amazing thing that was invented you know, in the 19, early 80s called the internet. Yes. <laughs> and, and since kids today live off of the internet, why aren't we, you know, connecting with them and having Zoom calls and uh, FaceTime? And uh, we had our daughter, Christy, and our grandson, James and, and Charlotte, they uh, moved to Texas for one year. And and uh, her husband, Steve, had a job there. Then, and we were, this sounds terrible, but we were so happy that it didn't work out because we wanted them nearer to us and they moved back. But, you know, during that time, we just made a, a choice that every other day we would call on FaceTime and we would talk and, you know, they would, the kids, if they were in the high chair, the kids totally were the perfect one. Other, James today, if I call him on FaceTime or on, on some kind of a quick zoom call, he's like, Hey, Papa Jay. And if he's busy, he's gone. Okay. Oh, that's but hilarious. I'm, but just I'm to still see your face. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I still want to be a part of it. And so when something happens, um, that's been a, part of their family dynamic, we want to be able to be a part of that family dynamic. And, you know, Kathy was actually reading stories to the kid, like bedtime stories, 
um, to the kids. And so they would kind of cuddle up with their mom and dad. And then Kathy's reading these stories and showing the photos. And, you know, I have tears in my eyes watching oh, that just awesome. like, wow, it's amazing. Well, that's a long that you can do long distant grandparenting today. And then whenever you can, you know, you, you find ways to get together. We found that our Texas trips became even more meaningful because, you know, Christy and Steve were busy doing stuff and we were right engaged with the grandkids. We just played with them, hung out with them, um, you know, were there any any moment we could. And that also gave Christy and Steve some freedom to you know, get away and, and do whatever. And now that they're not long distance, you know, we say, OK, when's your date night? Because we want to be able to take the kids on that night so that, you know, you can have your freedom. And, and instead of them coming to us, we wanted to you know, aggressively say, how can we help? What can we yes. do? And, you know, just it's the little things that mean a lot to our our kids who are now grown. My mom is the best at writing notes. And so oh, are yeah. my in-laws, my dad will, you know, they love their handwriting. They like that they'll send them a little something. And for okay. any of you who are older empty nesters and you don't like texting, I will tell you, way to go. Those of you that have learned to do that, because that reaches our kids more sometimes sure. than a letter that might get lost in the, you know, apartment complex that didn't make it there. But a text goes a long way and just not to expect a lot. That's something that I ask my kids, like, what do they appreciate about my parents and, and the grandparents is that they just, they do this awe thing, like you're talking about. Yeah. It's affection, yeah. it's warmth, encouragement without expectations. And and right. prayer, we have to talk about prayer. I think about the great grandparents and the legacy that of just faith of a lot of these people that just have prayed for these grandkids. It, don't stop praying, right? No, no. So it's so, and you know, I'm, I'm much more aggressive about that. Not in a bad way. I mean, aggressive can be a bad word, but I'm, I'm, I'm much, I'm a much better prayer with my grandkids and reading Bible stories and all those kind of things than I was with my own kids. We were, we were busy and, you know, we did do that stuff, but not like we do with our grandkids, you know, that they, when they look, they come in running and they go, Hey, Papa Jay, can we see the Bible app? There's a cool Bible app by uh, my friend, Phil Disher, who was veggie tales. And uh, so I have it. Um, yes. So I have it on my phone, and um, that's what they want to see. They, so I show them a little video, and then we read books, and you know, those are I, I want that to happen. One, yeah. two, Christy and Steve for a couple of Sundays couldn't be at church. They go to they they're back going to church as millennials, but um, so we took the grandkids, and then we went out for donuts, and so it wasn't just you know to, they like church. They love they're young. They love church, but it was also afterwards. Hey. We ate some sugar and uh, had some fun times, fed birds, ducks. You, that's awesome. That was our big you one. want them to want to be with you, little things like that. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I'm going to close this out with a couple of things. Um, I love you talking about meeting the adult kids on their territory, becoming a student of their culture. And you guys, again, I'm going to draw you back to his website and to the book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. He has some great insight in there that you can learn about the culture of these different ages. And then Jim, this is kind of random, but one of my favorite things in your book, and you'll have to um, give us about 20 seconds on this. There's a prayer in there. And this farmer says, <laughs> Lord, I don't like flour. And then he says, Lord, I don't like lard. And so people were kind of looking like, what kind of prayer is this? And then he said, but when you mix them together, I love fresh, warm biscuits. I thought that was yeah. such a great analogy, Jim. 
isn't that the greatest? I mean, what I loved about it was, you know, and that's life. That's families. We have goofy stuff that goes on and every family has their story. But when you mix it together to quote, I know I should quote the Bible, but here's Disney, Lilo and Stitch. This is my family. It may be small. It may be broken at times, but it's still good. And I think that goes along with that prayer that, you know, it's good. And, And don't just focus on the bad. There's really good things with family and, 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 keep creating that family closeness, they won't fall. They won't, they won't go away. They're, they're not going to leave you when they feel loved and accepted and, and close, even when you don't agree with them. Yeah. And I think about listeners, I want to close this out too, with, with even reading about Job and, and adversity. When he prayed for all that was going on, when you get to the end of that book in the Bible, the Lord blessed him twofold. And we have to stay in prayer for these kids. And for those of you that are really hurting and it it still feels like it's not going to get any better, get this book. There's a lot of hope in there. Um, There's hope for those um, kids whose values are different. There's hope for straying from the faith. And we are here for you, praying for you to stay strong. And there's too many resources today for you to stay feeling like you're on the island. There's a community out there. Homeward is a huge community. And I just want to point you back to what Jim is doing, what his team is doing. And Jim, I just thank you so much for being here. Any closing thoughts today? No, Charlotte, this was great. And thanks for what you're doing. And I'm just happy that people can get on a podcast like this and hear great practical uh, insight on how to be a more effective uh, parent to our adult children, as well as, of course, living within the empty nest. Well, thank you so much. You have tremendous wisdom, and I just can't wait to stay connected to Homeward and and keep going with all the great things you're doing and to learn about your new book. We'll have you back on to talk about that one. So thank you, Jim, and thank you listeners for spending time with us today.